0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: You are listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Being the Ricardos. This is
0: places for scene A. Scene A. Action. Lucy. I'm home. Why is this coming out now lucille Ball's a threat to the american way of life does the fbi have any case against lucy i need
2: you to help me save my marriage how many times i gotta explain where i was and what I was there. you gotta explain are you being funny with i'm lucille ball when i'm being funny you'll know this is getting
1: out of hand
0: oh, have you been cheating on me the
2: story's made up if they boo me if they boo you we're done. <laughs> Sorry, I got lost for a second. You're my hero.
0: I care about what works.
3: I care about what's funny. I care about you. Oh,
0: you're scaring the shit.
3: I was just gonna say, good show. Good show.
0: Good show. We've been through worse than this.
2: We have.
1: All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Being the Ricardos, and the story is as follows. Shocking personal accusations, a political smear, and cultural taboos threaten the relationship between Hollywood power couple Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. The film is starring Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem, J.K. Simmons, Nina Aranda, Tony Hale, Aaliyah Shakat. Jake Lacey, and Clark Gregg. It is written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, and here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Lauren LaMagna. Hello, hello. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. Matthew, you got some splaining to do. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> you knew it was coming. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Uh, well, this is the... <laughs> Newest film from Aaron Sorkin because, you know, we didn't quite get enough of him last year. <laughs> so here he is back two years in a row with a new project here. Uh, this one has had quite a lot of buzz surrounding it, uh, going all the way back to the announcement that Sorkin was going to be making this project, then the casting. Uh, there's actually been a lot of names attached to this over the years, uh, but settling on Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem has really brought about a level of scrutiny uh, to this project uh, that we don't typically see a lot at a time, but that's because there's a lot of nuances here with the casting of these two extremely famous personalities, uh, two people that a lot of American households, even if you didn't grow up in the era of I Love Lucy, you were somehow put onto it, maybe by a generation ahead of you, whatever the case might be. So there's some familiarity i imagine even with today's modern audiences with who lucy and desi ultimately are both in front of the camera and also behind the camera and i think that the way that sorkin chooses to tell the story is very interesting by setting it all within a single week during a production of a particular episode of the show utilizing flashbacks interviews that are staged for the movie. We're going to get into all of this here in our discussion today. But general thoughts, we'll start off with Lauren LaMagna. Lauren, what did you think
2: of being the Ricardos? Well, first off, I would like to say that I am a fan of Aaron Sorkin. I really do think he's a fantastic writer and I will see everything that man writes. Um, I do think um, his films that he directs are not in the same category as the films that he just writes. That's just my personal preference. But that being said, I really liked being the Ricardos. I have I have a relationship with the Isle of Lucy show, Lucille Ball. I've seen some episodes even though I didn't grow up in that era. So I definitely have you know a nostalgic value to it and I think the film is done very well. It's very theatrical with all the events hanging out in one week um it makes sense aaron sorkin wise but i do think it's weakest value still is aaron sorkin's direction i don't think it's this i don't think it's strong enough for this type of script i don't think it's strong enough for this type of cast and i think it's okay for him to leave the directing alone maybe for a while just focus on the writing But that being said, I think Nicole Kidman is amazing in this part or in these parts with both the Lucille and the Lucy side. And I love seeing the the behind-the-scenes aspects of the character and how she reacted behind the scenes and how she reacted on camera and the difference between that. And I really loved that performance and about being a woman of that time and a smart woman of that time and knowing that she was a smart woman and owning that. I thought that was fantastic. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it despite its flaws.
1: All
4: right, Josh Parham. What did you think? So I wouldn't say that I was a big fan of this movie, but I think overall I did find myself enjoying it. And A large part of that, I think, is down to these performances. I think that Nicole Kidman especially is a really nice anchor to this movie that for throughout most of the runtime, I just really bought into her, even though she doesn't necessarily look like Lucille Ball. I think that she created a really compelling character at the center of this. And I think Javier Bardem has his moments. I'm not quite as high on him as other people are, but I think he has some natural charisma that's really effective. And the rest of the cast of the supporting players are really good too. And I do really like the snappy Sorkin dialogue. I do think that this movie is strongest when it is just about this week of production. I really enjoyed that. I didn't really care for the flashbacks all that much. That really disrupted the flow for me. But I found myself being entertained by this movie. It wasn't anything that is one of the best movies of the year in my opinion but for the runtime that i was given i found myself having a really good time enjoying the story and these characters all right and dan bear
3: yeah i like aaron sorkin as a writer he's been okay as a director he's kind of like journeyman pro forma gets the job done kind of director but he directs his material pretty well i think I was most concerned with this movie about the casting of it. Um, I love Lucille Ball and Desirée Naz, and I love Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem, but wasn't sure that they were the best choices for to play these particular people exactly. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> First off no one warned me how hot Javier Bardem was in this movie.
4: (laughs) I don't think he's
3: ever been this hot ever. And like, he can sing too. I was kind of blown away by him, but (sighs) Nicole, honey, sweetie, darling, comedy has never really been her thing. And, to my jock, she actually, I thought, was better as Lucy Ricardo than she was as Lucille Ball because I felt like she was really making an attempt to become that character. as Lucille, it really just felt like, oh, well, it's another Nicole Kidman character. It's another variation of Nicole herself. a. I didn't see any of the Lucille Ball that I have seen in other movies or in interviews or indeed on I Love Lucy or The Lucy Show. However, (laughs) I do think it's a really good performance. just a really good performance of someone who isn't exactly Lucille Ball. And I feel like that's pretty much my main issue with the whole thing. I really like the movie, but... I feel like so much of it feels a little dubious. Um, there's a lot of fussing around with the timeline that I don't think they necessarily had to do. But like it, it kind of works. But the whole thing that I'm left thinking about in my head afterwards, even though it's an enjoyable watch, I don't think it's anything that's really wrong with it. But I left it feeling like, why? Why tell this story? Why tell the story now? Why tell it in this way? I, I'm not really sure, but it's not a bad movie by any means. All right.
1: So a little saving grace there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of Aaron Sorkin as a writer. I very much enjoy the way his characters talk. I enjoy their wit, their intelligence I also really enjoy this world. I like seeing this behind-the-scenes look, especially at a creative endeavor as making a television show. So there's a lot to really appreciate here as far as I'm concerned. Um, As far as my relationship with I Love Lucy, my parents showed me episodes of this growing up and I vaguely remembered it. In my adult years, and since then, I've you know seen clips on YouTube and things like that, uh, but I wouldn't consider myself a fan. So heading into this movie, I had very, very little knowledge, really at all, of these two people, their connection to one another, and also the relationship that they had both on and off screen. So in a way, it was all fairly new to me. And I was fascinated by it so much so that it has caused me to do some more research and more reading on the two of them uh, that I think Aaron Sorkin's approach here with the way that he decides to tell the story first with these staged fake interviews uh, that's supposed to take place years later with people who were involved uh, behind the scenes, definitely a choice. Because he can then craft those interviews to be however he wants them to be in his script. While, you know, instead of getting authentic, actual interviews uh, with anyone, he can, considering how old the production is. But then also the flashbacks, shooting in black and white. I I feel like there is definitely a step up here from his previous directorial work, at least on a technical level. And I attribute a lot of that to him working with Jeff Cronenweth for the the first time, uh, DP that shot uh, Social Network and a few other of David Fincher's films that Sorkin knows pretty well from that experience. So the movie looks good. It moves at a clip. And I found myself, like I said, just fascinated by the characters, by the way that Sorkin was framing the story and also what the story was about in terms of conflict and drama Now, what was asked earlier, though, was the big question, which is why? Why now? Why this story? And other than showing the power dynamics between men and women in this creative environment set during this time and trying to maybe draw some sort of a parallel to today, I really can't find an answer to this. Did anybody else come up with a reason for why this needed to
4: exist? Well, I think you kind of hit it right there. I do think that this is a story that really is showing not just the power dynamics, but just the drive that's necessary to go for your pure creative vision as you are balancing that with this drama in your home life. And I think that the bones of that are things that make compelling narratives and so for me i think that that is what really drew me into it i i do think that it gets lost a little bit in the flashbacks which just really disrupted the whole momentum for me and just kind of gave me more context for stuff that i really didn't need that much more context on to be honest and i think that if this had been way more focused on just this week of production and what they're dealing with trying to put the show on and the communism drama that's happening. I think that would have been way better storytelling for me because every time it cut away from that, I was just sort of bored to tears by the rest of the film, to be honest. Do you think that they included the flashbacks because
1: he was worried that if he didn't provide context to who Lucy and Desi uh, were – before the show, that modern day audiences would have been a little confused.
2: No, it's Lucy and Desi. I mean, yeah. for an American audience at least, and I think even the introduction scenes with just like the interviews describing them, and then the introduction scenes of the two characters, you get that relationship. Well, wow. Aaron Sorkin yeah. knows how to write characters. He knows how to write monologues. He knows how to introduce characters. That's his strong suit. So I, I don't think we're missing anything. I don't think those scenes add anything if not for just you really get you know the sexual chemistry between lucy and desi and you just get the love story starting but i think you already understand that these two are madly in love and kind of doomed lovers as well without those so they are kind of unnecessary in my opinion as well
3: the thing about those interviews is that when the movie started i was like wait, did he actually find these people and interview them? (laughs) It looks like an actual documentary and like, bravo, Cronenweth. And then Linda Lavin showed up and I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) I see you, Sorkin. I see you. Uh, But like, yeah, the man knows how to write and it's a perfect, like quick, pithy intro for anyone who somehow doesn't know their who Lucy and Desi are and what their impact on American culture was.
1: I mean, this show got 65 million people watching it at the height of its run, right? I mean, that is just, it's
3: unthinkable today.
4: It yeah, well, there are also like only users. three channels, so that's the
1: Yeah, <laughs> true. But in, but just in terms of the way that you could wield power through that in terms of just communicating a uh, certain, social messages or whatever it was. I mean, that's a, that is a hell of a captive audience right there. 65 million people? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so they the, the environment is high stakes because of this. Everybody is working at the highest level possible to create the best show they all can. And there's a lot of heightened emotion that goes into that. And I think that the... Saving grace of this movie to elicit that emotion is actually the supporting cast. While I think Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem are doing really good work here, I was pretty amazed at how well balanced all the supporting roles were to the point that Sorkin gave even the smallest characters a moment to shine in the script where they could prove their worth, if you will, uh, to the audience in terms of, well, why is this character necessary? Well, let me show you. And there's maybe like a confrontation scene or something that is revealed about Lucy or Desi's character through these other characters. Like everybody was utilized in such a perfect way. And the other uh, actors involved here, they, they ate it up. They took that Sorkin dialogue and they were just chewing on it.
3: They absolutely did. I mean, I think it's hard to, when he's on, not screw up that dialogue. It has the rhythm of its own. And if you are a good actor, you're going to find that rhythm pretty easily. What I was impressed by in this was how seamless the ensemble felt. Everyone really felt like they were, you know old hands and working together for a long time and just knew each other inside and out and knew exactly how to they knew exactly what to expect from each other. Oh yeah. And knew exactly how to play each other.
1: Well yeah, because we're coming in at like episode 200 and something and so I I agree Dan there's a history in terms of this is no one's first time around the block. Even the director that Uh, Lucille finds to be incompetent that they're working with on this uh, particular production, Um, Donald Glass, I think it is, Uh, even he's worked on the show before, so it's not like he's a newbie. And so as a result of that, you get both a combination of shared history that the characters can reference with one another, and then also, too, there's like a Like you said, like a comfortability there uh, between the characters that I think makes the connections and the emotions that they're sharing with one another all the more felt, especially um, between Lucille and uh, Vivian uh, Vance, played wonderfully by Nina Arianda in this.
3: Oh, yeah. Nina Arianda is a person who is just like waiting for everyone to realize how fucking amazing she is. Mm hmm. Absolutely, I mean, she is my favorite member of the cast, yeah. She steals every scene she's in in just about every movie she's done. I adore her in this. She has perfect casting as Vivian Vance, and she has that 50s-style like patterned speak. She has that rhythm of how those people spoke back then. She has a down pat, and she more than holds her own against huge heavy hitters that have been doing this for decades.
2: No, oh, yeah, I love when I'm... Um... Tony Winners get to just I'm just being a theater girl. I love when Tony Winners get to just show off their skill, especially in a film this high stakes. And she fits those so the Sorkin dialogues so well. And it's amazing seeing her just bounce back and forth in scenes with, you know, Nicole Kidman of like that length. And it's just amazing seeing her fit again, Dan. She fits that time period so well and she understands the dialogue and she elevates to it and it was just so awesome scenery yeah, one of my favorite performances in this film as well
1: and I was really impressed like I like shockingly so and I don't know why because I don't think that they're a bit you know a bad actor or anything like that but Tony Hale as Jess Oppenheimer uh, really surprised me in this and I like I said I don't exactly know why because well, I've why, always that. enjoyed his
4: work yeah it's because that the biggest roles that you know him for are on Arrested Development and Veep. That That's yeah. It. And this is not that kind I of mean, But character. still, but still
1: though, I, maybe it's because of that dramatic, uh, tension and conflict that like, I don't, maybe that is what it is. Yeah. I'm so used to seeing him in that comedic, silly mode that here where he's having to puff up his chest and like assert himself to both Lucy and Desi in different scenes. I, I I, I feel like I saw a different side of him that I haven't really seen in other roles.
4: Yeah, and that character could very easily be written as a caricature and be played as a caricature, but Tony Hale does not do that. He feels like a very authentic personality in this group who does have silly moments at times, but he also is very proud of the work that he's trying to accomplish. And he will have conflict with people that seem on very realistic grounds, too. And I do think it is a slightly different shade of performance that we get to see from Tony Hale. That's not too much of a departure, but it still feels so grounded in this role. And I do admit he is another really well-used member of this ensemble. And then I know J.K.
1: Simmons is getting a lot of uh, recognition uh, so far for his performance in this too as William Frawley. But I I got to admit, like I thought he was good. But I wasn't necessarily blown away by him. I do think that when he has to do the sarcastic, wisecracking Sorkin quips, he can be quite hilarious in this. And his physical comedy uh, with Nina also when they're doing the show together is fun. Uh, but, you know, this isn't this isn't like whiplash or, you know, anything like that necessarily. I, th- I think he's serviceable. He's fine. Yeah. Like he's not bad. He's not bad. But like, I felt like there was just a level of expectation heading into this from early uh, test screenings and also too even post uh, the premiere and stuff. uh, People were saying, Oh my God, wasn't he so great? And I'm like,
3: he was he was good.
2: He was being J.K. Simmons.
3: Yeah, it's one of those parts where he was not really asked to do much other than just be himself. I do like yeah. his scene that he has
1: with Nicole Kidman later in the film when they're at the the bar together and he kind of gives her some like, you know, some real talk. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like when he's in that like kind of warm, affectionate, but, you know, stern type of like as matter of fact kind of uh, style of speaking, you know, that's when J.K. Simmons like really shines. He just has like kind of this weariness to him that I I find to be quite endearing.
4: Yeah. At the same time, though, I think a reason why maybe I'm not so invested with him is that it seems like all of these characters do get these sort of one off scenes with Lucille Ball, but almost all of them showcase something about like both of those characters and how their relationships are evolving and changing and we're and mining deeper things out of it. But we don't really get that with the one with J.K. Simmons. It's just more of an encouragement for Lucille Ball, but there's nothing much else really there to create some nuance with that character. And I think because of that, it's the reason why he seems like the one who's just sort of still on the surface of just being like, yeah, he's good, but there's nothing else really to that character that the movie mines out of that to be anything more interesting. I
3: find. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. It, there's there are all these like little one-off scenes as Lucio goes around and interacts with everyone, and I, I, I get why they're there, but I it, it often doesn't feel like it feels like a lot of those scenes take a long time to get around to their point. Like this movie is over two hours and it very easily, I feel like could have been an hour 30 hour 45.
1: Oh, and you see the way that it's edited though. Honestly, I didn't realize it was that long. Like it moved for me throughout.
3: I think it does. I just think that some of these scenes are really indulgent in terms of Sorkin was like just really really into writing for these characters and they take a while to get to the point of scenes.
1: Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I I can understand that, especially if he's Doing that thing that he does where he introduces a point early in the conversation and it's like a little tiny thing. And then he finds a way to bring it back around at the end to kind of like nail the punchline of the scene, if you will, to make it all seem like it was worth it. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. I got that. I think the runtime is also on the long side. It does lose me, and I'm going to chalk that up to majority of it being the flashback scenes, because I don't think we need to see them fall in love if we understand that they are so madly in love already, because this isn't really a love story. It's them falling out of love and the red scare and her pregnancy and trying to get Desi to be a producer. Like We have all of these things going on. There's a lot happening in this movie but I understand why there is the flashbacks because there's callbacks from those scenes in the present day. Like I understand why they're in there, but but there is, I think just there's so much compacted into these, this one week of production plus the flashbacks, plus what they're trying to accomplish that it, it seems like Aaron Sorkin is kind of over his head just a little bit in terms of all the hits he's trying to make.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can definitely see that for sure. I think what surprised me also, though, about all of this is that despite where I'm watching it and wondering, okay, what is the point of all of this? And despite, you know, what we're talking about here in terms of the structure and the way that the story is told, the thing that he nailed for me was he nailed the ending. I felt like the themes of the film, the characterization of Lucille Ball, and the arc that her character was going on from the beginning of the story to where she ends up and encompassing the themes of what exactly is home for her, hence the name of the show. Uh, well, well, not, not I Love Lucy, I'm sorry. Hence the catchphrase, mm-hmm. Lucy, I'm home. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found that to be pretty poignant. And I thought Nicole Kidman absolutely sold the sadness of the character, uh, but also to her strength. Uh, and that was something that came across not just in these production meetings uh, where she's trying to assert herself as an equal to Desi, who as the you know male in this uh, male-dominated world is seen as the one with all the power, but also, too, just asserting herself in her relationship with him. And uh, having all of this kind of just come together at the end a way that it does, I found it to be just – Clever, heartbreaking, but also pretty uplifting at the same time uh, for where just her character ends up.
4: I think the conclusion of her emotional arc for the most part is really well done at the end. And I think a lot of that is due to Kidman's performance. Mm -hmm. I did have a bit of like whiplash, though, of going from that and also an ending that Sort of glorified a call from J. Edgar Hoover. That was very strange to me. But, you know, to Kidman's credit, I think whatever moments in that finale work, I think a lot of that is down to her performance.
3: I completely agree. And that's what I was saying. Like, it's an excellent, it's kind of like how I felt about Renee Zellweger in Judy. Like, it is a really, really good performance of a person who is not, exactly the historical person that this person that they're supposed to be playing
1: that makes sense
2: i think it's her I, in that scene i think it's the writing in that scene i think it's the blocking in, in the scene and the score in that scene i think that scene does come together really well and i think she i think nicole kidman is on fire the entire film she never takes a break she never exhales. she is on this train and she's at a level of 100 the entire time and you just have to respect that and i think it's one of her best performances honestly
1: Cosine, I too would rank this up there with some of her best work. I was pretty blown away, even if it's not matching maybe people's expectations of who Lucille Ball was or who Lucille Ball was, period. Her interpretation, though, is still fascinating. I mean, I am impressed when actors can disappear and become totally different people, um, And this idea of mimicking a person's voice, movements, mannerisms. Yeah, it can be impressive, but I feel like she gets to something deeper here where she isn't trying to do a mimic performance. Instead, I feel like she's trying to bring about some very deeply layered and complex emotions. And there's a subtlety and a nuance to her performance that I really wasn't expecting uh, considering... Uh, Like I said, just expectations of who Lucille Ball uh, was. And I think a lot of that does come through in the scenes where she has to be on the television show and she's acting for the camera. Uh, But privately behind closed doors, I thought this was a very uh, nuanced and at times heartbreaking performance from her.
3: Yeah, I have to say the scenes when she is Lucille Ball were really emotionally affecting for me. She, mm. You're absolutely right in that she may, she's not really doing the mimicking of the person's voice and gestures and all that sort of thing. And that, I think, helps because it does sort of, like, it presents Lucille Ball, not the character of Lucy that we know and that we can kind of assume to be an ex extension of her personality and i think that's really important for the film is like humanizing this woman and i Mm -hmm. think that kidman is is really good at that and like i said before like she traces that arc throughout the movie really beautifully but i think that sorkin kind of he, he kind of strings her up a little by having those scenes where they're recreating the show, and they do it in black and white, and she was, to be fair, better than I was expecting at doing the Lucille Ball brand of overly, physically exaggerated comedy. But it did not feel like Lucy, even in the slightest. And when you're very obviously going for recreating something that iconic, it feels like a
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Coming up on 5-Minute News...
2: I don't know. It worked for me. I
1: was going to say, Dan, it worked for me too. Sorry, bud.
2: Yeah. And like, I was <laughs> going to say, and she balances, she does, she differentiates both Lucy and Lucille so well from just that her I, voice. Yes. And that, her physicality. that was impressive in my opinion. And I do think her being Lucy worked because you see her being the Lucy character. And you also see Lucille thinking, how do I make this scene better? Because Lucille was always thinking as, you know, a director and as a producer So it was so cool to see both of those characters at the same time, and you could see that through the performance, which is really, really impressive.
3: I do. I I really. I again, like, I feel like it is a really good performance. I'm I'm nitpicking. I'm nitpicking. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm nitpicking because Nicole Kidman is one of our greatest living actors and I say actors because regardless of gender, I really genuinely believe that I would not put this up with her best work, but I think it is really, really strong. Um, I just like, and again, I feel like a lot of this is, I had very low expectations as anyone who has seen bewitched would probably not blame me for. (laughs)
1: Mm. Okay. That's fair. (laughs) Uh, And then want to just circle back to Javier Bardem here for a second, because it's interesting hearing Josh say that he's not as impressed. And then, Dan, you sound like you're more impressed. Lauren, what did you think of Bardem in this?
2: He's good. He's very charming. I really enjoyed him. I do think Kidman does outshine him a little bit in the scenes, but he does his part really well. And he just has that. You know, sensuality and that charisma that is just so attractive, and you just can't help but look at him, and you just can't help but want to be in his aura. And I think he played that part extremely well. Yeah, i
1: I do agree. Mm-hmm. I do agree. Like, I'm, like once again, it's like kind of like J.K. Simmons, where I wasn't necessarily blown away by him, but I got the charisma, I got the sexiness, I got the power. I got, yeah. I got it in scenes where he's. Basically telling everyone else who thinks they have a say on how this show is run. No, this is my show. Like I'm the one who calls the <laughs> shots here. I don't care if you're the money. I don't care if you've got the influence. I don't care if you're the one who thinks you've got the power when you're on set. Like, it doesn't matter. And I, I love that moment. I, I know it's like one of those cheesy Storkin moments. But God, I love that moment so much where he writes to. um, who was it? The the cigarette like company. The head
2: of the studio. Oh, yeah. Uh, Philip
4: Morris.
1: Philip, Philip Morris. Morris. Yeah, he writes the letter to Philip Morris uh, basically because they're putting up a fight about how they can't have Lucy on the show saying that she's pregnant and she's pregnant in real life. They want to incorporate it in the show and he gets the letter. Uh, and It just says, <laughs> don't fuck with the Cuban. Like, <laughs> I thought that was it's hilarious. So <laughs> it was a
2: great moment.
3: <laughs> and the way he plays it off is just even better.
1: Agreed.
2: How can you not share?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. Now, the J. Edgar Hoover moment towards the end, I agree with Josh. A little eye-rolling yeah. for sure. But it's but it really is made up so much by uh, Lucy and Desi's uh, moment right after that, which, once again, is another one of those Sorkin callbacks to something that you think is insignificant early on in the movie, and he finds a way to bring it back at the end and just has it, like, just sting and it lands and... Oh, I I ate up that moment so freaking much. And, you know, if you want to roll your eyes at it and call it too cute for, you know, your sensibilities of what you want in your storytelling, fine. I I totally get it. Uh, But as just far as like mainstream entertainment goes for a broad audience, it worked for me.
4: And I I do want to say that, he definitely has moments that are very charming for me, and I do recognize that. And there are even times where I think that he is actually quite entertaining to watch. I think my bigger issue with him in this film, though, is that I just don't find that much like modulation in terms of his portrayal of... Desi Arnaz, it and I think a part of that is just by the very nature of how this story is structured, that it is very much focused more so on Lucille Ball. She is the one given much more emotional depth, and that is just the nature of the story that they're telling. But I also feel that reflected a bit in his performance, where it is fun, but I don't really get too many other moments to go beyond that, except for maybe at the very end of the movie. And I think that's where my resistance a little bit with Javier Bardem is for this film is that that character just doesn't really feel as nuanced as his on-screen counterpart. And so because of that, it just feels like he suffers a little bit. And I do admit that I think the performance suffers a little
3: bit from that too. I think the thing that made him stand out to me more than Kidman did is that I can't think of another performance I've seen from him that is like this at all. Hmm. The facility with language and the rat-a-tat dialogue. The, I mean, the sexiness, like I've said. Um, Like, not that he hasn't been sexy before, but he's sexy in a way that he has not been sexy before this. The singing, he captures the physicality of Desi, I think, really well, even though he doesn't really look like him. Um, And he... Kind of gets close to the voice about as close as he can, I think the scene that I keep coming back to with him is one of the flashback scenes where um, they have just slept together and Lucy comes out wearing his shirt and he's like playing picking away at the guitar and little drunk on alcohol and you know romance. And the look he gives her as she walks by and out onto the terrace and he kind of follows her and gets up is the look of someone who is just so besotted with the person that they're looking at. And I, I don't know, like... Find you a man who looks at, at you the way he looks at her in that moment. I don't know what to tell you.
1: Oh, I was uh, <laughs> cracking up when she reveals that she has a fiance and she like picks <laughs> oh, yeah. up the phone to break things off with him because she's had this amazing night with Desi. And it, Javier Bardem's like facial reactions during that whole moment are just absolutely priceless to me. <laughs>
3: yeah, I think his facial reactions of the whole movie are he I'm used to seeing with him, kind of more stoic things, more along the lines of what he did in No Country for Old Men, and he has not ever been as expressive, I think, mm. as he is in here.
4: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can. I can go with that. I think also while we're just on the subject of Javier Bardem, I do think we kind of need to talk about just his casting in Elephant general. In yeah, a, a yeah, bit, which yeah, nor like it just is made so much more interesting to me because there's a line in the movie itself that yeah. sort of calls this out. Oh, now. yes. And yeah. it's, it is so bizarre to me that this line is in the movie, and yet you still have a Spanish actor playing a cubit, even though they call out that criticism in the opposite direction. It's, it's very weird, and I know it's a little bit outside the movie, but I do think we need to just at least bring it up a little bit because it's very strange that it is directly referenced within the text of the movie, and yet Javier Bardem is in this role.
3: That particular moment just played
1: so badly. Was genuinely shocked that that line was actually in the movie. But, and it also, I think, just kind of speaks to Sorkin's
4: ignorance at the issue at hand. That's a lot of ignorance right I, there to write mm-hmm. it in the movie,
2: though. Yeah, like, he <laughs> a, knew there was backfire still yeah. wrote that line and had the actor say it and then kept it in the cut, and it's just like, there was a lot of stages that line went through to make it there.
1: Yeah, I agree yeah, completely. I'm, and while I've heard his argument about it, and I can kind of understand where he is coming from, I still think he's wrong. Like I Like, I understand why he thinks the way that he's thinking and I understand like his reasoning behind it, like where it's coming from. But like, I, I fundamentally disagree.
3: (laughs) I don't know. I would buy it more if they like actually did a casting call for this part and they read a lot of Cuban actors. If they read Oscar Isaac, just throwing it out there (laughs) for this part. And he really thought that Javier Bardem gave the best read, but to my knowledge that's not what happened. Yeah, it is just such it's so much weirder though that that
4: line is in the movie though where they specifically yeah. say don't call Desi Spanish, he's Cuban. Like it is specifically called out in the movie. So to have this other meta narrative going on with Javier Bardem's casting just makes it so bizarre and I have to admit yes it's outside of the movie, but it is a bit of a point of distraction with this character and this casting. I have to be upfront and honest about that. I, I I do have to like I do admit, Josh, that if the line
1: wasn't in the movie, I don't know if I would be thinking about it as much, you know, because I would pro I probably would fall into the trap that Sorkin wants me to fall into, which is, yeah, like, don't ask questions, just. Just judge it on the performance that you see on the screen. Look at his performance. Isn't his performance great? And it's like, yeah, it is. But dude, you literally wrote a freaking line into the movie that is calling out the hypocrisy of what you're doing here. And I just I really don't understand it. And it got a laugh. It played to an audience that literally does not pay attention to this stuff, doesn't care about this stuff. And they laughed. You know, Lauren can Lauren can testify like we were in the theater together and people laughed at it, you know. Um, but gosh, I just wish that there would be some more self-awareness and accountability here.
4: Yeah, it's a funny line. It is. It's a really yeah, yeah. well-delivered moment, too. And the idea behind that line, I totally agree with. It is just completely undermined by the actual casting that you see in the film. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And I respect that. um, Desi's daughter approves of this casting. Like I understand that like the family is okay with it, so we should kind of be okay with it. But going back Mm -hmm. to Dan, if she saw actual Cubans audition to play her father, would she have a different opinion? Is the question. And I think it's important to have actual representation because that is important. It's not like you can't pretend to be something that you're not when it comes to, you know, like ethnicity and like nationality. So I think we should always strive for that. So, yeah, I, un- I understand people saying, like, it's okay since the daughter is okay with it, but is this the only avenue she was given? Was this her only yeah. choice? Is my question.
1: Do better with your casting, people. That's the moral of the story. There's a lot of people out there that want to feel represented.
3: And there are a lot of people who aren't getting the chance to show their stuff. Right.
2: On mm-hmm.
1: screen. And you already have Nicole Kidman. Do you need, like, if you're worried about getting, quote unquote, a name? You have Nicole Kidman already.
2: And you're Aaron yeah. Sorkin.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. All right. Final thoughts? Should we get to final thoughts? I think we should get to final thoughts. Let's go to
4: final thoughts. Josh, final thoughts. <laughs> um, The only other thing that I want to mention, I just want to bring up two scenes that I will admit got me to laugh so hard at this movie. One was the scene between uh, the Philip Morris and CBS executives where they're talking about her pregnancy and they're mentioning, you know, people will think about (laughs) how she got pregnant. And um, Lucille just says, oh, I fucked my husband. And then everybody's like, (laughs) just, (laughs) just. Yeah, yeah, Whoa, 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 whoa. Perfect. I I laughed (laughs) so hard at that. That was good. (laughs) What's
2: she pregnant with? A baby.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So I love that. And then the other moment that I really loved is uh i as i mentioned before i'm not a big fan of the flashbacks in this movie but i could have only used this one scene between lucille ball and the head of production at rko when he tells her you should do radio the look that she gives him and (laughs) he says what the hell did you just say to me i'm died laughing i thought that was a brilliantly executed moment and it almost made the rest of the flashbacks feel justified. Not quite. I still think they're rather useless. But that was the one time where I was like, OK, I actually do like this scene. I like the interplay between these characters and what it says about her state of mind in this moment. And it got a really big laugh out of me.
1: I love that scene, too. I really, really loved that a lot. That was like also one of the few scenes in the movie where it felt like the pacing really slowed down. To sell that dramatic moment in, in Kimmen's performance where she's reacting to that news. So, yeah, I agree. I liked everything about that uh, considerably.
3: The The other thing that is great about that, um, the pregnancy scene, Josh, is knowing that the episode where it's revealed that Lucy is uh, pregnant. They couldn't even use the word pregnant yeah <laughs> the, the episode is titled lucy is on which is <laughs> like i think you i can't think it's spanish for pregnant jesus it's just like they couldn't even call it lucy is pregnant
1: which is hilarious because if you did that today everyone would know what it means yeah. <laughs> but back then it's like no one has any idea oh, gosh mm-hmm. oh jeez, the times the times that we were living in all right, Lauren. Final thoughts.
2: Um, can we talk about Aaliyah Shakat?
1: Yes, we can.
2: Yes. Um, I loved her in this. Oh. I think she was phenomenal. Again, back with the great ensemble, she is one of those um, scene stealers, in my opinion. And I just loved the idea of the younger generation of women in Hollywood versus, like, the older one with her and Lucille. Um, and those scenes were just fantastic. Of just you know, women in creative roles supporting each other and working with each other and collaborating with each other and having those conversations. And I think she nailed the comedy of all of her lines, especially at the table read. That was a good one. I remember laughing at and her one-on-one scenes with, you know, the executives and Lucille and just always moving and talking. And I think she is amazing in this film.
1: I particularly liked seeing her in that writer's room Mm -hmm. and, I really like the moment where she, I don't remember exactly how she says it, but it's something to the effect of, how do you think I got to be a female writer on a show like this? So, something, something along those lines yeah. where it's just, you, you really see her grit come through.
2: And with her and Lucille, both of those mm-hmm. characters, they know they're the best at what they do in that room. And they both own it. And I love seeing both of these characters, kind of similar and parallel characters really, um, show off especially within that time period, I thought that was great and amazing to see. And she really nails all those zingers and it was, loved her. Yep. All right, Dan Baer, final thoughts.
3: I feel like I'm coming across really harsh on this movie when I really did like it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching it. It's just like, I had so many questions.
1: Well, Dan to that, then I have to ask, and when can we expect you to be funny?
3: (laughs) Ha. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no i i again like i love when sorkin is working this old hollywood milieu i think this is like his bread and butter because it works so well with that ratatat dialogue he's famous for and every time he wants to go back to this period of hollywood i am all for it give me more of it I love the look of the movie, the production design and the cinematography really bring old Hollywood to mind very easily, not just like in terms of the um, the look of the of like Hollywood in general, but the look of the film. it feels like a classic Hollywood film in a lot of ways. And I really liked that about the look of the film. We haven't really talked much about the cinematography or other crafts in it, and they are all incredibly strong. Honestly, I
1: I think I think I would argue the strongest uh, that Sorkin has worked with yet as a director.
3: I yeah. agree. Um, the one thing that I was not a huge fan of was the score. Daniel Pemberton mm. is just going
1: full throttle. See, I found it to be non-intrusive and
4: kind of just unmemorable. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of it myself. You know what? It sounded a lot like Carter Burwell. It didn't even sound like Daniel Pemberton, which was very disappointing. So yeah, it didn't really do that much. And when I did notice it, it just felt not like his type of music. So it was a pretty underwhelming element to this movie.
1: It's very interesting. Like I look at his career and the types of scores that he's done and... With the exception of uh, two, I can't really identify what a Daniel Pemberton score sounds like exactly. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's just like, I don't remember the score to Molly's game. I don't remember the score for gold. I don't remember the score for... Actually, no, I do remember the score for Anola Holmes a little bit, but... It's like it's very odd, his career. And I just I, I feel like he hasn't really necessarily settled into a groove as of yet. And his work with Sorkin, like I said, with both Molly's Game, Trial of Chicago 7 and now this just just underwhelming for me.
4: Yeah, usually he is able to capture like yeah. at least a bit of energy in his in his uh, previous scores. But with Sorkin, it does just feel so just so like basic. And as you said, Madge, is not memorable at yeah. all. yeah. Uh, for my
1: final thoughts, the flashback uh, to when Lucy has the episode in Italy where she stomps on the grapes. I love that everyone just, like, makes such a big deal about, like, and she stomps on grapes, That's hilarious. She stomps on grapes, people. Like, what's the whole point of this episode? It doesn't matter. She gets to stomp on grapes. They just keep hammering that home.
3: (laughs) And and that was the scene where I was like, okay, Nicole is doing – she's doing right by Lucille in that scene. That was Mm -hmm. really some great physical work on her part.
1: And then – I wanted to ask you guys about this because this is a topic that comes up pretty frequently in other movies. And I know there's a lot of divided opinions on it. There's digital de-aging being done here, uh, visual effects wise for these flashbacks.
4: Yeah. Which I did not know at first. (laughs) I didn't notice. (laughs) Yeah. I,
1: I,
3: I couldn't tell. That's
1: my point. So because we couldn't tell it, it fits the definition of seamless. So, we got to kind of stand here and say that it's good and not distracting, right? For the
4: most part. I I will say (laughs) I did not know going into this movie that there was digital de-aging. And for the most part, it was pretty seamless. There was a moment, I think it was at the club when yes it's the
1: lighting on javier
4: yeah that was the one moment where i was like wait a minute there's something sort of off with this but i didn't know it's when he's on stage and he's singing and that harsh
1: uh spotlight is on him yes like i agree but that is like probably the one scene where i thought wow his face looks incredibly smoothed out right now
4: yeah but it was really the only time i ever really noticed it so yeah the I walked into this movie the first time not knowing that that was an element of this film and from apart from that one scene, it was very seamless. So good job to the effects team for that. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out to the production design too
1: because I think that while there's a lot of office rooms, and not necessarily big set pieces that scream production design. Uh, there is a lot of subtle work going on in there, especially on the uh, television sets. Uh, I really, really enjoyed just the overall look of the movie. And I know we mentioned Jeff Cronenwith before. He achieves like a nice, soft lighting approach to this, where it's not... Uh, heavily based in shadow that just helps to give the movie a nice bubbly warm feeling to it throughout and i was a little off put i remember when that trailer came out and i remember looking at it and going oh there's a lot of lot of browns it looks murky and kind of ugly but seeing it like actually in motion and contrast with the black and white and some of the other uh, work that's being done with like the costumes and the color and how those accentuate and pop Yeah, I I, I like the overall look of this. Like I mentioned before, I think this is Sorkin's strongest directorial effort yet. I still don't think that he is as good of a director as he is a writer by any means whatsoever. Nope. But (laughs) although he has not achieved a status of auteur with a distinct visual style or anything like that, The Sorkin scripts are still the Sorkin scripts. And that is where, you know, he is who he is, a.k.a. it is identifiable. And a lot of times when we see other movies pop up, like I I love this movie, uh, but something like Miss Sloan, uh, you know, and, and we just say, wow, that's like really trying to be Aaron Sorkin. You know, like the guy is just like he's a brand onto himself when it comes to his writing and it's unmistakable and that's what you live for when you're watching his movies if you are a fan if you're not a fan there is nothing that's going to convince you otherwise nothing his characters are all the smartest people in the room and they let you know it <laughs> so if that's not your thing and you don't like that then you're not going to get anything different here um uh, Suffice to say, I really, really enjoyed this. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. A few nitpicks aside, I'm giving this a pretty weak, but really, really recommended 8 out of 10. I I, I was very, very surprised by how much I enjoyed this. Lauren?
2: I am going to give it a 7 out of 10. I really enjoyed this film. I think it's entertaining. I will watch it again. I agree with you, Matt, that it is Aaron Sorkin's best turn as the director but i do think that his direction does still hold his pieces down i still think it anchors them where i think it would just be so much stronger with a better another director in my opinion but um i again i love the man's writing and i think he once if it's paired with the with good actors that really fit the words and understand the words um it's great and i think the entire cast does especially nicole kidman so yeah i'm a solid seven i really really like this film
4: josh I am also a 7 out of 10. I enjoyed the movie. It's not perfect. Far from it. There are structural things in the story that I don't think are all that great. And I agree with Lauren that it, Sorkin's directing is the best here than it has been previously, but it's still not great to me. And I still think that his talents as a writer have not are, are still the better parts, and he's still not quite there as a director yet. But for still the entertainment value and for those performances in the film, I did find myself enjoying it, even if I don't think it's necessarily a great movie. Dan Bear,
3: So first time I watched this, I was at a very weak eight, um, just because I felt like I really enjoyed it. Second time I watched it, it went down ever so slightly, and I am at a very, very strong seven.
1: All right. And then as far as awards potential goes for being the Ricardos, uh, as of this recording now, we now have Golden Globe Awards, Hollywood Critics Association Awards, and Critics' Choice Award nominations out for this movie. So what are we thinking? Because I know that when the film first screened and, you know, considering the talent involved, considering Amazon is behind the film and considering the way that this plays for a general audience – I, I still maintain that even despite the critical bashing that the film has received, I still think it could play broad enough for enough voters in the Academy to still possibly land a Best Picture nomination.
3: Uh, I'm not. I'm not.
1: not, Listen, I'm not firm in this, and I have it extremely low, but. No, I see it. I can see, exactly, like, I can I think see it's,
2: it. it. It's a year, it's, again, yeah, it's a year of ten. Like, let's remember that. There's We gotta yeah. fill ten spots. This is going to play exceptionally well, especially with that older crowd, and the Academy still has a big older crowd, and I think they're gonna love this. I really do. So I do see a strong general reception is gonna happen with this film.
3: I'm interested to see what the reviews are like when they fully drop
1: yeah because i mean the film was rotten for a little bit on rotten tomatoes now it's in the low 70s i will be curious to see if it climbs to mid 70s or if it sinks back down into the mid 60s
3: yeah if it's i feel like if it sinks back down i'm gonna feel less bullish on it taking a best picture spot i feel like this is one of like maybe five or six movies that's vying for that last spot yes and i will see how i feel like everything else has more passionate uh response for it than this um like i know a lot of people who like it and i think it's a very much a consensus pick but i don't know that there'll be a lot of people who put it as number one you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm totally
1: and I mean, right now, I just took a look. It's currently at 153 reviews, so okay, it's going to get what? Like maybe another, another 40, if that. And it's at 72% right now. Interesting. Yeah. It did recently get uh, Nicole Kidman a Golden Globe nomination, Critics' Choice nomination as well for Best Actress. I know that the reviews have definitely called into question whether or not if she is still considered safe for a nomination. I would argue that even if the film gets no other nominations, I still
4: think she's getting in. Yeah, I feel good about her getting nominated at this point. Like you said, even if the film itself doesn't really land anywhere else, even though I still think it's very much in contention to do so, she does feel relatively
3: safe to be in that Best Actress lineup.
2: Mm-hmm. I think yeah, she's, worst case scenario, it's just her.
3: And I think she's been helped by the fact that it opened so late, honestly.
1: And Sorkin showed up with Hollywood Critics, Golden Globes, and Critics' Choice all in screenplay. I mean, Golden Globes, not surprising. They nominate Sorkin yeah, for that's everything. Not
4: surprising. <laughs> they love <laughs> yeah, that man so much.
1: <laughs> what else do we need to see to be convinced if he's getting in or not at Oscar?
4: Uh, honestly, I don't know the answer to that Because we have seen him hit everywhere before And missed mm-hmm. That's the weird thing with Sorkin in the Oscars Is that people think that he is much more beloved by them Than he actually is He doesn't have that many nominations And Social Network was his first nomination So yep. there's kind of this hot and cold thing With him at the Oscars So it's really still kind of touch and go As to whether or not he'll make it in, in my opinion
1: no, since Social Network, he's been nominated for each one of his screenplays that he's done, with the exception of Steve Jobs, which, Rob. like you said, Josh, based on that best. precursor <laughs> run, there's no reason he should have missed. He won the Golden Globe that year. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> he got a BAFTA nomination, and like
3: screenplay since Social Network. So
1: yep, he had a WGA true. nomination. He should not have missed. Yeah, it's very bizarre. <laughs> I, I, I think that once it, he won for Social Network, it was like. Uh, you know, you're in the club now. Finally, we're going to just keep doing this. But I I have to admit, I do think that he's at a point where he is probably due to miss again. Having gotten in for Molly's Game and Trial of the Chicago 7 recently.
2: Yeah, he was just there and we have Liquor's Pizza. We have Belfast. Come on, come on, can make in King Richards in this category There's, It's a it's crowded. Don't look up like there's there's places to miss and he was literally just there I could see him missing again
1: I always knew that Javier Bardem was going to get a Golden Globe nomination that was not surprising yeah. I don't yeah. think that he's in contention for a best actor nomination at the Oscars no. at all
2: no, no, not. I, that was very Globesy yeah,
3: I feel like he's like in the 10 based on the strength of the movie overall and Nicole possibly having coattails but I don't think he's in the 5 J.K. Simmons No. What if he showed up at SAG? (laughs) Then uh, Honestly, if he did, then I would be like that SAG being very, very weird. Okay. Like that SAG just loving J.K. Simmons.
1: Okay. And then the only other thing I can think of, honestly, uh, the editing in this is very flashy. And it's by uh, Alan – I'm going to get this right – Alan Baumgarten, uh, who previously uh, edited – uh, last year's The Trial of Chicago 7, Molly's Game, American Hustle. So he's got that kind of fast-paced editing style that they typically like. He came close. He probably came close to winning last year, I imagine.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I think he's it's a top
3: contender, I, I would say. Yeah. He, it's really good editing, and it has that flashiness and m- mixing the – to timelines and also the fantasy sequences of the show. It, it could happen. I'm hesitant about it because it doesn't seem like it's a top tier contender for best picture. Right. Mm-hmm. And that usually tends to be how these things go, but
2: mm-hmm.
3: it, yeah, he's probably in the mix. And I would say it's also in the mix for production design. Cause that's a pretty loving recreation of the fifties studio lots. Yeah.
1: And if this Academy loves anything, it's, you know, stories about themselves. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything
4: else? Any other call outs? Uh, this is not happening, but I would love it if there could be a little support thrown the way of Nina Arianda because she's uh, so good in this movie. And oh, I know supporting okay. the actress is like so crowded right now, but man, she is. She's so good. I would love it if there was just at least one mention of her performance throughout this season. Yeah. yeah. It would be nice. You had your chance, yeah. CCA. <laughs> yeah, instead you went with J.K. Simmons.
1: All right. Well, mm-hmm. that'll do it for our review of Being the Ricardos here on the next Best Picture podcast. Lauren, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet.
2: You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lemango.
3: Josh Parham. I am on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Dan Bear I am on Twitter at DansonDanOnFilm
1: and you can find me at Next Best Picture thank you so much everyone for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast we are proud to be part of the Evergreen podcast network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show we really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us